For me, it's been irony. As I mentioned in February, I don't know how many of you were there, but this is my fourth copy of Trusting God, <laughs> um, which uh, I'll stick to my script. But when I was asked to speak on this chapter, The Wisdom of God, I noticed in my copies that it was the least marked up chapter, which I think means that I wasn't quite getting it, actually. Well, it's marked up now. <laughs> and uh, I think this impact is going to be lasting. I trust so. I'm leaving considering from this book, Trusting God, what it is about God's character that makes him completely, absolutely trustworthy. In February, we looked at God's sovereignty, as Keller reminded us. Um, so he possesses all power necessary to bring about the very best intentions that he has for us and for his glory. Nothing can stand in his way. But there's a second attribute, aside from his sovereignty, that is essential if we're going to trust him. And that second attribute is his perfect wisdom. As a result of our focused attention on the wisdom of God and the scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit will be that we will trust him more deeply, and that is the goal of our study this year, and be drawn into a closer, more intimate relationship with him. All of this, of course, in ever-increasing measure as we learn to trust our God. First, I'd like to define just wisdom in general, and I, I believe it's on your handout, just the definition of wisdom. The dictionary's handling of this word, wisdom, didn't really jive with the way the Bible uses the word. Um, the definitions in the dictionary had more to do with intelligence, um, sense, perception, and judgment, how a person thinks. But Jerry Bridges chose the definition of a 19th century theologian named J.L. Dagg. And, as it says in your handout, he describes wisdom in general as consisting in the selection of the best end of action and the adoption of the best means for the accomplishment of this end. And we'll refer back uh, to this a few times. I know it's a little wordy. So we see in this definition of wisdom, in general, that there's more than intellect involved. There's action with an end in mind. Notice the word accomplishment in that definition. Well, then that goes on to define the wisdom of God. So we'll look at that. God is infinitely wise because he selects the best possible end of action and because he adopts the best possible means for the accomplishment of the end which he has in view. A.W. Tozer elaborates a little bit on this definition of the wisdom of God. He says this, In the Holy Scriptures, wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends the most perfect means. It sees the end from the beginning, so there can be no need to guess or conjecture. Wisdom sees everything in focus, each in proper relation to all, and is thus able to work 
toward predestined goals with flawless precision. Now, we've heard the word end a few times in these definitions. What is this end that keeps coming up that God has in mind? Well, before we go further, we must be reminded of just what that best possible end is. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us that all things, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, is all done to the glory of God. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. The Bible tells us his end is his own glory. God's grandeur and his wondrous, perfect plan being carried out, like Tozer said, with flawless precision. So God is perfectly loving, he's perfect in sovereign power, and he's perfect in wisdom, in order that he might be glorified. That is the best possible end of all action. And scripture also teaches us that our welfare as his children is tightly woven into his glory. They're meshed together. We are not excluded from God's design to have all things glorify himself. The perfection of God's wisdom is included in his glory. Wisdom joins love and sovereignty, and together these three attributes mesh together and make it possible for us to trust him. And when we trust him, he is glorified and we are blessed. Before we look into the scripture for pictures of God's wisdom, um, I'd like to talk just a minute about his omniscience and how it relates to wisdom. I think sometimes they're confused. God's omniscience is his complete knowledge of everything there is to know. There just isn't anything he doesn't know. He is all-knowing. And his omniscience includes perfect knowledge and understanding of you and your circumstances. Perfect knowledge of whatever touches your life. The Bible says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind, and before. And lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain. That's Psalm 139, 1 through 6. He knows all about the details of your life and about that particular struggle you are going through, even today. One commentator said his wisdom is undergirded by his omniscience. He couldn't possess perfect wisdom without perfect omniscience. But his wisdom is his omniscience and more. Let's look again at our definition of the wisdom of God. It says God is infinitely wise because he selects the best possible end of action and because he adopts the best possible means for the 
not is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Wise in heart is a unique expression. Um, the Hebrew word translated wise can mean skillful, wise in administration, or prudent. Sounds kind of like our definition. Knowing the best possible end and using the best possible means to achieve that end. And Job 12, 13 states much of the truth that Job 9, 4 did. It says, with God our wisdom and mind, he has counsel and understanding. Job 36, 5 says, God is mighty in strength of understanding. That is a beautiful synonym for wisdom, strength of understanding. There's so much that I don't understand. But I can trust my God, whose understanding is mighty. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 5. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up their wounds. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding or his wisdom is beyond measure. So God's wisdom is without limit. Notice in this portion of scripture, it is kind and loving. On the one hand, it says he builds up. He gathers, he heals, he binds, but his wisdom is also majestic, creating maybe an infinite number of stars and naming every one of them. No wonder it's good to sing praises to our God and fitting. Again, among other things, we see that God's wisdom is active, and it can be trusted. Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And note this the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In those verses, Isaiah describes the God of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, righteousness who is active he is reigning he is ruling he is judging again God in action and he is carrying out his perfect plans for his own glory and the eternal benefit of his children Isaiah 40 28 31 have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. 
understanding or his wisdom is unsearchable. Now, verse 29, here comes the demonstration of his wisdom. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. exhausted. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is our God who demonstrates his wisdom by his power and his strength. And finally, James 3.17, James gives us a description of the nature of God's wisdom. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. His wisdom is nothing to fear or dread. It is peaceable, gentle, and full of mercy. Oh, he invites us, even commands us, to trust his wisdom. God is wise in all his dealings with us. His wisdom is divinely woven together and intertwined with his perfect love and power. And it is good, pure, perfect, and totally reliable. Are we trusting him? Next, we want to look at three realms, creation, redemption, and adversities where the wisdom of God is seen. Now, in creation, I didn't go to Genesis. I went to Psalm 104, where I found a beautiful account of just some of the details and intricacies of what God has created. Uh, it speaks of the clouds being his chariots, setting the earth on its foundations, making mountains and valleys by the spoken word. It goes on and on through the whole beautiful poetic psalm Describing the creative works of God and the loving care with which he showers on his creation. And in verse 24, the psalmist just bursts out and exclaims, Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, there's our word again, have you made them all. He sounds like Paul in our theme verse for this chapter. Oh, the death of the riches. Romans, did I get it right? Romans 33. blank. Yes. Oh, the depth, the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So again, we see God's wisdom at work, creating a remarkable universe. I like this little verse in Job 39 26. It says, By God's wisdom, the hawk soars. Look at those red tail hawks we have around here. Maybe reminders to you of God's wisdom. In creation, we see God's wisdom combined with creative energy, and we find eagles soaring, salmon swimming upstream, lightning bugs, the human body, the solar system, and on and on it goes. Take a deep look at anything God has created, and you will see evidence of divine wisdom, and you will be in awe and inspired to trust. Second realm. Redemption. 
You know, the solution to the horrendous dilemma of our sin is also God's wisdom on display. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1.24 says, Christ, our substitutionary sacrifice, is called the power of God and the wisdom of God. In that wisdom of redemption, God not only devised the only possible remedy for a humanly impossible dilemma, but also wisely established that men could not come to know him by their own wisdom. That would exalt man. First Corinthians 1.21 For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its own wisdom, the worldly wise deem God's plan folly. But God calls our redemption the wisdom of God. Ephesians 1, 7 through 9 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom, our word, and insight. The third realm where we see God's wisdom is in our adversities. Jerry Richards called this part beauty for ashes. God's word teaches us that God is wise. We see evidence of it in creation. We hear the gospel being referred to as the wisdom of God. The psalmist and Job declare that God is wise. Now let's take a brief look at three individuals in whose lives the wisdom of God is displayed through the adversities that God gave them. Wives for God brought beauty out of ashes. Let me start with Job. How would you like to be the one whose name is synonymous with suffering? Do we know anyone except Jesus Christ who suffered more than Job? Probably not. God sent him plenty of ashes. I do admire Job for some of his responses to his sufferings. I have been encouraged and instructed by a couple of Job's responses. One, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And the other one, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So Job knew what we all need to know, and that our suffering, in our suffering, God is working, like Romans 8, 28 says. I have um, railed against God's feelings with me over the years. Totally unaware of hidden sins and lack of trust in my heart that lay hidden to all but God. And these things needed to go. I wouldn't have railed so hard if I had deeply believed and clung to the fact that God is perfectly wise and he knows exactly what he's doing with me. God was and is acting in perfect wisdom with me, with Job, and with each of us here today. God saw some things in Job's heart that were not right. He was sinfully complaining against God. And God needed to purge that sinful attitude out of the heart of Job. His response of humble repentance was the beauty that God was bringing out of the ashes. It resulted in a deeper and more intimate relationship with God and a clearer understanding of who God really 
is true beauty out of ashes. Beauty brought about by divine wisdom. Moses. Moses was born into a culture that was murdering all the baby boys born to the Hebrew women. Ashes. Can you imagine giving birth to a little boy in those days? My 34-year-old daughter just gave birth to a baby boy after many years of waiting. The horror of this story is suddenly all the more real to me. Ashes indeed, such incredible darkness. In Exodus 2, we see God in all his perfect wisdom guiding Moses' mother to carefully construct a floating ark and get this, placing it close to the royal bathing place. And Sister Mary standing by. God's wisdom preserved and then prepared for future leadership, one of Israel's and the world's most esteemed leaders. Moses is rescued. Beauty out of ashes. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing. Joseph, hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and then sold as a slave. All is very dark for Joseph. Ashes. Hopeless. Life as he knew it was over. The Bible tells us his brother sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. And then I love this next sentence. They took Joseph to Egypt. There it is again. The wisdom of God behind the scenes carrying out the will of God. It would be a while before Joseph saw the beauty from those ashes, but it did indeed come. Thousands of years later, we are still being instructed about so many things from the life of Joseph. I recall worldwide influence for the glory of God for thousands of years, beauty out of ashes. So Job, Moses, and Joseph. In all three of these individuals, we are able to see Romans 8, 28 at work. On this flag, God accomplishing his ends perfectly. This ability to bring beauty out of ashes is to me the most magnificent demonstration of divine wisdom. He takes our sin, the sins of others, our spiritual dullness, our pride, our foolishness, our unbelief, and brings beauty out of that. Your trials are not random. They are the material God is using to bring beauty out of ashes. Beauty bringing glory to himself and blessing and sanctification to us. What a hope we have for change and growth. This is the word of divine wisdom. Now, it's not like he takes our situations and just kind of makes it a little better. You know, a little improvement here, a little less pressure here. He does so much more than that. We may think life would be better if, but God's perfect wisdom has a much better perspective 
and a more important design for us than the removal or the relief of that uncomfortable, annoying, or even painful circumstance. Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. I think that goes on about 20 years. It was good for me to be afflicted. Period. If you want to grow, adversity is required. His wisdom sends us exactly what we need. Are we trusting? So, God is wise. What does it mean when I know that God is wise? Four things, briefly. It means that God can be trusted. Psalm 93 5 says it so simply and profoundly. I love the tone of this verse. It says, Your decrees are very trustworthy. Like somebody's telling God that. He doesn't know. I just love that. Your decrees are very trustworthy. And why are they trustworthy? Because God is perfectly loving, perfectly sovereign, and perfectly wise. The title of our book is Trusting God. Its primary focus is teaching that God is trustworthy in the hard times, the dark times, even the impossible times. Psalm 62 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. And this God we are told to trust is all wise. He knows all the ins and outs of your situation. He sees things that we don't see. We have a friend, capital F, whose wisdom is divine, unsearchable, and beyond comprehension. So above us that we're never told to try and reach it or to try and attain it like some religions might, but just to trust it. And he promises to bring good out of it. Beauty for ashes. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Romans 11, 33. Okay, number two. What does it mean when I know God is wise? It means our future is being handled by divine, loving, powerful wisdom. Isaiah 43, 5 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Why can we actually live without fear of any kind? Because God is loving, powerful, and wise. And in his wisdom, he knows the very best end and the very best means for bringing that about. We've seen that in the scripture this morning. He is doing that in your life right now. He knows the end, and it all turns out in the best possible way. That's quite a word, the best possible way. It will be what is best for us without compromising his glory, and his glory will be revealed without compromising what is best for us. Number three, what does it mean when we know that God is wise? It means he will never make a wrong decision, nor agonize over a decision. His wisdom makes it impossible for him to make a mistake. He knows the best end possible and the best possible means to achieving that end. And because he is a good and loving God and is sovereign, he cannot make any mistakes in his dealings with us. In fact, what he wills for us is the very best. 
His character guarantees that he can never let us down. It may seem that way, but that's where the rubber meets the road. And we must decide what it is we're going to put our faith in. In our circumstances? Or our flawed understanding of our circumstances? Or in his trustworthy character? The good shepherd of your soul will never leave you to lie down in brown pastures. He will never provide polluted water for you. He will always lead you in paths of righteousness, not uncleanness or sinfulness. His rod and his staff will always guide and correct you. He will always protect and provide. He is your all-wise shepherd. Psalm 32 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Women, we have a guide, a teacher, a counselor who has his eye on you at all times and cannot make a wrong decision regarding your situation. He cannot do it. The fourth thing, we can trust him with our adversaries when he knows, when we know he is wise. Even those who seek to do us harm cannot do anything to us that God in his infinite wisdom has not already ordained for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8, 31. A friend of mine is being wrongly accused of something, and they've been sued. And there is, and there is a lot at stake. And whether my friend wins or loses, it doesn't change what God has said in Proverbs 21, 30. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. My friend needs to deeply believe this. Jerry Bridges says, even the most nefarious schemes of our adversaries can only accomplish what God has sovereignly ordained for us and in his infinite wisdom skillfully brings to pass. What rest this should be to our souls. I can think of a better way to conclude this than to read a paragraph from our chapter, the very last paragraph. I'll just read it to you. That infinite wisdom guides the affairs of the world. Many of its events are shrouded in darkness and mystery, and inextricable confusion sometimes seems to reign. Often wickedness prevails, and God seems to have forgotten the creatures that He has made. Our own path through life is dark and devious and beset with difficulties and dangers. How full of consolation is the doctrine that infinite wisdom directs every event, brings order out of confusion and light out of darkness, and to those who love God, causes all things, whatever be their present aspect and apparent tendency, to work together for good. God, we trust Him. Let's close in prayer. Worthy are you, Lord, to receive power and wealth.
Savior's name. Amen. 